house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. kinds of people. They'll just want to get close to you because you're talented. Clearly, one of us has underestimated the other. What is Allie short for? Alice. Alice? Well, welcome to Wonderland. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast jamming to Nicolas Cage's acoustic set list. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my air rights consultant and co-host, Joe Reed. <laughs> What is? Sorry, I just thought I just thought that the rules were that it's the second you walk onto screen, you just have to. Oh, you have start to do doing the run. runs. Yes, yes, you are. That also, is how we introduce ourselves in the burlesque world. You're an air rights consultant. You're co-host of a podcast. You're a writer, but you are also the arbiter of vocal runs. I am a slut with mutant lungs. I am uh, a girl just off the bus from Iowa. Wandering the city to the strains of Marilyn Manson in 2010 for whatever reason. Yes. It's all happening. Oi, Marilyn Manson. We couldn't do this episode alone, though, Chris. We thought we could tackle burlesque, just the two of us, but it was it was a fool's errand. Yes, we have a special guest today. Joining us is freelance comic book, TV, theater, and dance critic. You know him from places at, like the AV Club, Vulture, Chicago Reader, more. Also, respectfully, he is a lifelong hater of Brian Adams' Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman, which makes Thank him you. absolutely on the right podcast, obviously. It's Oliver Sava. Hey. <laughs> I'm so glad that you follow the rules that I cannot. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Thank you Oliver. so much for having me, guys. Ooh, this is going to be such a mess. This yeah. is going to be great. No, this is going to be fantastic. It's going to be no less a mess than burlesque is, but that's a beautiful, <laughs> gorgeous mess indeed. It's going to be a burmesque. Oh, there we go. Okay, so... Oliver, I love that we've introduced you as a dance critic, because I think that's how you and I... Uh, became friends in the first place is that you were the AV Club recapper for So You Think You Can Dance. Yes. And I, an absolute lunatic for So You Think You Can Dance, um, I think must have reached out to you at some point or another, or another for opinion opinion gathering purposes. Oh, yeah. And, and then... there's a So You Think You Can Dance alumni in burlesque, if you did not notice. I'm sure you noticed. Oh. Season four is Chelsea Trail. Oh damn! Plays Coco, 
plays Coco, who gets name-checked in the song Welcome to Burlesque, that I always love to point out recently since I found out, was written by four songwriters, including uh, John Patrick Shanley, he of uh, <laughs> Doubt and Moonstruck. And yes. Are you kidding yes. me? It's my favorite burlesque fact to date is that uh, John Patrick Shanley is one of the songwriters on Welcome to Burlesque. A song with like two real sentences before it just keeps saying Welcome to Burlesque. Like, and then it just sort of introduces all the other girls. John Patrick Shanley is the one responsible for rhyming burlesque with statuesque. And I choose to believe (laughs) only that. I, I, I accept no other reality. Oh, I love it. Before we get into, because we, of course, want to talk about your, like, Oscar origin story, and we want to talk about why you chose burlesque for us today, but before we got on mic, I just want to say, I threw out there that I was, I should have chosen Burl Ives for burlesque (laughs) for IMDb, and we had a challenge of, is Cher closer in age to Burl Ives or Kristen Bell? Would either of you like to guess the answer? Well, Burl Ives has been dead for how many years? So it's like closer to the age that Burl Ives was when he died? No, their age he is. (laughs) He would be now. (laughs) Okay. Do you think that Burl Ives was alive while Kristen Bell was alive? Oh, yes. Yes. But like she was little. The answer to that is yes. I think Cher is closer to the age of Burl Ives when he died, but not the age he would be now. Actually, no. Unless Burl Ives lived to like 100 years old or something like that. He died at 85. And Cher's like 70? My parents are pushing 70 right now, so she's probably the age of my parents. What's that? She will be 74 this year. Fuck! That's amazing. Guys, we should just give Cher more than we give her. Like, Cher should be given everything. By this, by this, you've basically deduced that she is closer in age to Kristen Bell than Burl Ives. <laughs> Wait, she's closer in age to Burl Ives than she is to Kristen Bell? Yes. There's a 37... Yeah. No, she's closer to Kristen Bell. There's 37 years between Cher and Burl Ives. 34 years between Cher and Kristen Bell. How old was Burl Ives when he died? 85. I'm not aging. I'm not aging Burl Ives after he died. That's unnatural. I can't do that. That's against God's plan. <laughs> well, Cher Burl is Ives closer is in age to Burl Ives was when he died. Correct. Let's, yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She's and tap, tap, tapping on that, you know, cat on a hot tin roof. But, I, I can't do. Together. I will not curse our listeners with impersonations again on this episode. <laughs> but if I not could so do, soon after just finding know that if I could do a Burl Ives. I would be doing Welcome to Burlesque in Burl Ives' voice. <laughs> a cursed, a truly cursed recording that would be. Um, we've got enough temptation to do an impersonation with uh, with Cher. I already let us off with my dumb Christina Aguilera uh, attempt, which truly, who can do? I can't do? do Cher. I will not be doing Cher on mic. Okay, can't that's do good. But anyway. We'll see if I can manage to make it through the entire recording resisting that. <laughs> Oliver, can you do a share? Mm, not really, but I feel like somebody's saying Wagon Wheel Watusi at some point. So. I was, yeah. was going to say, I, I'm I not like there every, yet, I, but you know, once once the train gets rolling, who knows what's going to happen. Once the wagon like, train gets rolling. 
Every gay man has been born with at least the inborn desire to try a share impersonation. I don't think we've all been born with the ability to pull it off. But, like, I think there's always a little bit somewhere in us where we want to try it. Because, honestly, you're right about Wagon Wheel Watusi. You can't... It's such a... It's such a weird phrase to begin with that you want to just put that, like, you know, share spin on it. But we will we will resist. Yes. For now. For the moment. But to bring it back to our guest, Oliver, welcome. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. We're here to talk burlesque today, but because you have such, like, a wide-ranging expertise, I am really fascinated to hear your, like, Oscar entry point not, I don't want to say more than most of our guests because it's always interesting, but like I couldn't, I don't think I could guess what yours will be. So tell us oh, what's it's, it's first the most basic. The it's the most basic. Uh, it's Titanic. Uh, it's the I'm perfect have, answer, and I haven't heard that answer in a while, though. I like, know, right? Everybody's, I feel like we've gotten a, a couple early 2000s, but no, I'm a serious, what is that, 98? Uh, the 98 Oscars, but 97. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so super invested in that. Um, just like the first time I remember feeling invested in an award show. Um, mm-hmm. like I feel like there's a point where when you're a kid, those are adult things. And then, yeah. And then that was because Titanic was such a huge hit and probably like one of the early kind of, it's not like an artsy movie. That's a huge blockbuster, but it felt like more serious. You know, I mm-hmm. saw, I saw some boobs. So like, <laughs> So did you see Titanic in the theater with friends or with, like, your family? Family, a lot of... I saw it with, like... I feel like I saw it with my mom probably, like, four times. My sister. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, okay. Like, it was a... You were... My my parents would also just drop us off at the theater and be like, pick you guys up in six hours. So like, right? have fun. Right? What a world, yeah. what a life we all lived then when it was just sort of just like, drop the kids off at the mall movie theater and just like, see you later. I loved it. I saw Titanic, I think, twice in the theater, both times with different groups of friends. Um, but I think it was just the two times, whereas, like, I knew people who were seeing it, you know, like Oliver, like you said, like four times, if not, like, you know, five, six, seven times. Because mm-hmm. that was for months. For months it was in the theater. So you could see Titanic four times and not ever really, like, see it a ton. Like, you could see it every other week and you would still see it a bunch of times in the theaters. You know what I mean? So it yeah. was like, um, what about you, Chris? How many times did you see Titanic? I th- I'm pretty sure the first run I only saw Titanic just one time, but I've seen yeah. it in every re-release since. Um, yeah. But, like, yeah, at the time, originally, this is what's funny, I wasn't originally allowed to watch it because of boobs, mm-hmm. even though, like, sure. I've been watching Pretty Woman since I'd been watching movies. <laughs> um, so it's like, what but are that you that's gonna... se- that sex scene in Titanic, though, watching that with your parents nearby is, like, one of the great sort of side-by-side embarrassments right in like all of movies where it's just like i don't want to acknowledge to my parents what we're watching on screen there and they don't want to acknowledge it and we're all just definitely watching like kate winslet's sweaty hand like bracing herself on the window of that little carriage so that she can you know get off essentially and it's just like oh like this is all happening right here in front of us. I wasn't so embarrassed by Titanic because really like everything in that sex scene is already in like the My Heart Will Go On video. Like that sex scene is like I truly 
to use this overused word, it is truly iconic, especially that shot with the hand and everything. Yeah. But, like, it's not yeah. that intense. I think, like, I had... I had been refused to see it at the cycle that it seemed like it was more than it was. And then, like, when my mother said, oh, that's fine, I saw it with my grandmother, who I saw most women with. Um, So, like, that scene wasn't as embarrassing to watch with my grandmother as, say, like, seeing closer with my grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which you don't really see anything, but it's all all dialogue. It's all it's talking about what Jude Law's cum tastes like in comparison to Clive Owen's cum. That's usually not something you see with your grandmother, right? I had the (laughs) I had the worst luck watching anything at home, and without fail, my mom always walked in, like would just like walk into the room to like pass through when it was like a strip club scene. Or some sort of <laughs> sex scene. And it was just like, it always just made it seem like I'm watching filth. And it's like, this is just a movie that they're in a strip club or like a TV show. She's like, Oliver, she, why are you watching Exotica all the time? I don't understand. <laughs> uh, just the worst luck. Um, I'm glad you brought up Closer, though, because that's coming Closer's back amazing. around for Oscar conversation. Because that's a big part of my Oscar history, I feel, too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, for. A friend of mine in high school every year had an Oscar party at her house. It was like a potluck. We would all bring some sort of dish and like dress up in like basically what your homecoming outfit or like if you were a guy, you had a suit Um, and we would watch the Oscar. She worked at the movie theater. So she had uh, movie posters, like full size movie posters all over the house. uh, Amazing. Usually for like the Oscar movies. Super duper fun. And me and another um, closeted gay, uh, we got heated over who got the closer poster. But I got there earlier. <laughs> and I called it, so it's mine. Uh, I saw. It, I totally thought you were going down the road of like you and another closeted gay like found a secluded place and like made out no, during the commercial break no, to like, talk nope. about the movie. Closer. You just fought also, over the closer poster, which is even more perfect. <laughs> by the way, catch Joe and I in a knife fight in the street over who gets to have a closer poster between. That's the true. Two of That's us. absolutely true. Oh my god, that was it in would my, be the end of it all. That was in my freshman year dorm room. I was so gay. <laughs> 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 That's amazing. Oh um, my god. All those half faces staring at you. Uh, seriously. So um serious like Natalie Portman fan. She was definitely like my I'm in the closet, but I have to act like I love an actress right. or just some, some right. woman. You you're into so. Natalie Portman for like this the sexual attraction. Sure, yes, yes, yes. We got it. Uh so that was a great one. Um but I remember yeah, being very invested in closer performing well at the Oscars. I know. It was a much better Golden Globes performer, which also can be said about Burlesque, the movie we're talking about tonight. Absolutely. I feel like we should acknowledge up top to our listeners, we've probably already gone through this on the on the Twitter account before this episode went up, but like we acknowledge the fact that we're deviating from the formula a little bit here. Where we're when we're talking about we're not Well, okay. our friend, the Wayback Machine, proved to me. Keep good, do what you're saying. I'm. I have I some think, things to shock you. I think this preamble is a little necessary, though. I. It's this. We're talking about fairly specific, fairly category specific Oscar buzz in the case of Burlesque, where um, it's mostly the fact that this was buzzed for a Best Original Song nomination. It won the Golden Globe for Best Original Song when the season song. was actually going. Yes. 
Okay, so what Chris is going to tell you, and which I don't entirely disagree with, is that, like, in the long lead-out while Burlesque was, like, being made, there were sort of fanciful thoughts dancing in Oster Prognosticator's heads that Cher could sort of get the beloved veteran supporting actress nomination that sometimes... Keeping in mind that it's her first screen musical she ever did. Keeping that in mind... My feeling, though, is I remember at the time when the I, when this project was announced, when the headlines on, like, Deadline Hollywood or whatever were Cher and Christina Aguilera to make a musical called Burlesque. And everybody, like, it wasn't exactly a punchline, but, like, it was one of those things where it's just like, I am going to see this disaster when it happens. Like, it's, I, I can't, it's hard for me to make the case that, like, there were Oscars dancing in the heads of people when this project was announced. I will. But there gra- were also people that were taking it seriously because you also have to remember this is the early years of the Best Picture Ten. We didn't fully know what it was. It's a musical in the era of like if it was a musical that wasn't High School Musical, it got some type of consideration in that in terms of people's long term predictions, etc. And it's just a mashup of all these different Oscar movies. Cabaret, Chicago, Dreamgirls, uh, mm-hmm. Devil Wears Prada. I like... was going to say, it's so significantly is is papered over uh, the plot bones of, of uh, Devil Wears Prada to me. And partially it's because Stanley Tucci is here be- playing essentially the exact same role. Like exact it's, same role. <laughs> it's really, really funny. It's just like, Stanley, you just stay where you are. You do what you've always been doing. We're going to put We're Cher in here where Meryl one was. One more button. <laughs> it makes right. such a difference, though. Yeah, it, no blazers, but right. you will still have that damn vest. I mean, giving his character a uh, a sex life of his own is one of those sort of, like, moments of quiet revolution. And it's one of those things where it's just like, that's all we're asking. Like, you know, let the gay sort of confidant character, he doesn't have to be the center of attention. But just give him a little David Walton on the side. Like, it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> and in this, it really works. That's one of the also, few like defined relationships I feel like romantic relationships that that three minutes that they have is better than the entire main romantic plot. How dare you, Georgia had a full wedding and reception and was <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Damn it, I've read all the, and oh man, yeah, you're right. She really does have an arc. <laughs> Georgia played by Julianne Huff in her. I think this was before the Footloose remake, right? So this was like yes. kind of her first little dip a toe into the idea. Of of being a an actress because at this point the line in the movie where Cher's like where are all the good act where are all the good dancers and and Tucci just goes they're dancing with the stars which is kind of a corny line but it's also like a little insidery because Julianne Huff did come from Dancing with the Stars yeah mm-hmm. once again we're getting ahead of ourselves us but ahead of ourselves I have to say I don't think Christina Aguilera is bad at all in this movie she's good when she. Becomes Christina Aguilera. The thing is, yeah, when not... she has to like act at the beginning. I mean, the problem is that the character doesn't really have like any. It's she's, a very she stock has no character. friends. She knows nobody. It's like, don't you have anybody at home? She's like, no. She apparently like just lived in a bubble her entire life or something. Like, it's like, how do you have not a single connection? It just means they don't have to actually explore a relationship. It's her. exactly what Catherine McPhee's character in Smash had. You know what I mean? Where it's just sort of like, oh, you are the straight off the bus, like, ingenue, nobody knows, you know, 
came from nowhere and all of a sudden you're going to take this whole like industry by storm. And it's just like, it's a very stock character. And I think these days it's almost like an, a tongue in cheek inside joke. And because that is you, they, people feel like they don't have to like actually write a full character where it's just sort of like that. She's a symbol. I feel like it's more so borrowing on further back musical tropes in like uh, in movie musicals of mm-hmm. like that's what these characters are it's it's very much a let's put on a show and save the barn musical yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like that's what this movie is so it's like maybe you don't have the most charismatic actress like playing those tropes in the way that like a Judy Garland would have made it seem like a complete person being essentially the same character but like I don't think she face plants in the way Christopher... that expect her to they're putting on a show to save the air rights above the barn. That's Let's get it. <laughs> Let's get it perfectly clear. Uh, if Judy Garland knew about air rights back in the day, though, all of those movies would have been completely different. <laughs> I love that this movie. This is the thing that Burlesque gives us: is like not only a movie that is like two hours of a good time that like gives you, you know. Christina Aguilera and Cher and Tucci and Kristen Bell and, like, all of this good stuff. But it also gives you these, like, bizarre little artifacts that only pertain to burlesque and yet, like, immediately became these timeless little uh, inside jokes. Wagon Wheel Watusi, Air Rights. <laughs> um, like, do you know what I mean? Yes. Just, like, almost immediately, it's like this movie became not only gay culture, but, like, like level four gay culture. Like, it was just, like, it was, you were really, like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Absolutely. I'm not crazy. I feel like okay. we should just ask the direct question to Oliver. Oliver, why did you, Why? what was burlesque that made you pick it before we get too into it? Unless it's all of these things we've already been saying and we'll continue I mean, a say, lot of these like, things, but when, you, so I'm assuming listeners know, they send a list to the guests of all the different movies that we can pick. And I mean, my eyes, it just turned into the the heart eye emoji, uh, once I saw burlesque on the list. I mean, have a soft spot in my heart for it. Saw it on Thanksgiving Day, uh, eating mini pear and Gruyere pies in the movie theater. It was just such a special night, and uh, I really wanted to talk about And I haven't really revisited it since then either. Um, I just remember... Wait, mini... Mini pear and green pies. Let's talk about that for a second. I know, my um, God. The the great Genevieve Kosky, a writer for Vulture, Vox, uh, formerly the Dissolve AV Club. Um, Right. She, a longtime friend, and we were big Pushing Daisies fans. So uh, that was Uh one of the pies that uh, he makes in Pushing Daisies. And she's a very talented baker, so she made some. And we brought them to the movie theater and a six-pack of beer and just, you know... God, you are doing it right, Oliver. You're doing it exactly right. I saw Burlesque Thanksgiving weekend. It was either, it must have been the day before Thanksgiving, because when I would go home for Thanksgiving and sort of that day before was kind of, we didn't get really ramped up into like preparations until the evening. That's sort of our family tradition is everybody comes over the Wednesday night before and we all make the dressing and it's all a whole thing. And so in the afternoon, I was just like, I'm just going to go to see a movie. And I saw Burlesque in an empty movie theater in Buffalo. And I was like, this is not how this movie is meant to be seen. And I still like loved it, but I was just like, I'm missing something. 
What I was missing was pear and gruyere pie and a six-pack of beer, yeah. I think, among other things. Fancy yeah. pie and beer is exactly how you should be watching this movie and a perfect way to describe the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, the big reason. And But, I mean, uh, I also want to just, like... I like the idea of talking about these sort of old school movie musicals. I mean, it's an original musical, which is exciting. And I mean, talking about a movie like this in a post greatest showman post stars born world mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. The, right. those movies actually did have like really serious Oscar buzz that manifested. Um, so, and made money. Yes. Made huge money. Uh, and, and I mean, come on. The character's name is Allie in this movie, too. Like, I was like, this yeah. is ridiculous. Oh, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> Her name is uh. Allie, and she literally doesn't have any last name simply because <laughs> she didn't have anyone in her life to give her a last name. <laughs> She just materialized out of nowhere in the desert, already 21 years old. In an awful wig. <laughs> and a tank top. Oh, my God. Very true. Two, again, once I should say Marilyn Manson's The Beautiful People, which is essentially standing in in this movie for what suddenly I see was in The Devil Wears Prada. And I'm just going to say a different effect. Like, (laughs) it just doesn't come across the same. This is like the tired, wired, but the galaxy brain extension of this would be like the let me find an apartment montage set to like, I don't know, Nine Inch Nails Closer or something. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Closer Dark Child remix. (laughs) Right, yeah. For sure. Um, And there's also a point in this movie where they they do a montage to Ray of Light, which is exactly the point in the Double Wars Prada where they have the Vogue montage. And I was just like, you guys really just sort of like kind of did a little one-to-one sort of uh, replace, search replace, which again... The Ray of Light sequence is wild because it feels like (laughs) temp music that they forgot to like get the rights to... And, yep. like, put actual music that it was supposed to be in there, and, like, it just showed up in theaters, and Madonna sued them, and we don't know about it. <laughs> right. All right, let's get to the other side of the, the plot description so that I can unload yes. everything I have about Absolutely. the Anton family and whatnot. Okay. Once again, obviously, listeners, please get your ass up. We're here to talk about burlesque. <laughs> uh, directed by Stephen Anton, also written by Stephen Anton. It was had a lot of also like script polishes by like Diablo Cody, um, starring Christina Aguilera and the one and only Cher. Cam Gigan. How do you say his last name? Gigante. I've always said Gigante. 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 A soft, Gigante. A soft G Gigante. To, to start it off. To 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 match the soft uh, bum bum that we see as walking debt. past us in the G- gigandit. Yes, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> hey, hey, Cam gigandit. I mean, come I on over know. here. Once again, yeah. this is an actor that should have shown up on your indistinguishable <laughs> young white male actors. I, I was thinking oh, of that absolutely in my notes. <laughs> I will never mistake Cam Gigande for anybody else. It's he's such a particularly like. What a weird little face on that boy. But also, like, what a perfect body. Like, it's not a, any surprise that uh. he was cast as widely as he was for that very short period of time where he was in, like, six movies and everybody was like, who's that guy? But, like, I know you gave me an eh, Chris. I get it. You're attracted to less conventionally attractive 
men than I am. Whatever. Um, you can't even distinguish his face. How can you be hot for him when you can't even see when his face? Who's looking at his face? Is my retort to that? I mean, well, it, they show his face in the movie. Anyway, they do. also anyway. Speaking of hotties, Stanley Tucci. One Mr. Stanley, one Mr. Cookbook Stanley Tucci. Um, yeah, the true hottie of this you movie. You either, in a movie with Stanley Tucci, you either get Cookbook Stanley Tucci or you get other Stanley Tucci. We all know like that. Like Assassin Cambo- Stanley Tucci in the, the Pelican Brief? Yes. I don't know. Maybe he'd be a hot assassin. I don't know. He was. He was a, he was a hot assassin. He was, you know, strangling Supreme Court justices, and you were just like, yeah, but he's so hot. Uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. We. we- <laughs> We talked about this. Uh, anyway, also Kristen Bell, Peter Gallagher, for uh, in love with Cher, it's amazing. Um, Julianne Huff, Eric Dane, who like true like scumbag. You want to talk about a period of time where a person was always playing one role? That's mm-hmm. Eric Dane playing scumbags. Um, uh, Alan Cumming, strangely. Apparently Diana Agron's in this movie. <laughs> oh, we'll get into Alan Cumming on the other side. Trust me, I have. Notes. Doing the least. <laughs> Doing the least, <laughs> but somehow still getting promotion from, like, door ticket guy to getting to do his own bit in the show. That, to me, felt like who's the most the realistic door? part. Who's watching the they door when he's doing that? Some waitress can watch the door for a moment. Like, I, that seemed to me, like, a little bit of just, like, why is this guy doing the door? Oh, so he can have his, like, one moment a week where he gets a number. My whole thing was, like, what's Alan Cumming doing in this movie? Like, what is his role? You would, like, in any other movie, he would be the Stanley Tucci. It almost feels mm-hmm. like he auditioned for the Stanley Tucci role. They were like, well, we can get Tucci, so, like, sorry. And they're like, and he's like, well, can I just, like, stick around? Because it seems like you guys are having a lot of fun. And you're like, yeah, go sit by the door, whatever. And, like, that's Alan coming in this movie. Maybe he's just on the lot, like, one of those weeks they were filming, and they were like, Maybe. hey, do you want to do this part? And he's like, yeah, sure, why not? I'm here for the week. And then he was in this movie, and then, like, years later, he was just like, I'm going to create Club Coming, which is going to be my, you know, burlesque without the dancers. I feel like Alan, if Alan Cumming gets to show up in this movie, by right for balance in the universe, Chloe Sevigny should have shown up in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to see Jennifer Jason Lee because they're like famously uh, Buds. besties. Shout out yeah. to the anniversary party. The first Shout time Gwyneth out. played herself. And now she's playing herself in Goop Lab forever and ever. <laughs> Through the infinites of space and time. Yes, um, exactly. Once again, Burlesque opened Thanksgiving weekend. That's kind of all the background for it. But yeah. it is time for the 60-second plot description. Oliver, <sighs> do you have it within you? to describe the entire plot almost two hours worth in 60 seconds for burlesque yes i think i can do this can i just say devil wears prada but they dance (laughs) (laughs) well she doesn't have a shitty boyfriend and shitty friends she doesn't have that's true i mean more basic yes all right so if you are ready your 60 second plot description for burlesque starts now. All right. Christina Aguilera plays Allie, a uh, small town girl, Iowa. Nobody. She knows nobody. And then she goes to Hollywood. Uh, she uh, comes across a burlesque bar and she's really impressed by the dancers. 
She wants to get on stage. She starts waiting tables, even though nobody asked her to do anything. Um, Cher owns the bar. Her name is Tess. She is divorced from Peter Gallagher, but... Um, they own the bar together. The bar is in real serious financial trouble. Kristen Bell opened the bar with them for some reason. Um, she's like the diva who's always drunk. Uh, Allie ends up taking that star role. She wants everybody to sing on stage because she's Christina Aguilera. And um, they start singing and dancing. The club is saved because air rights. They sell air rights. And uh, there's some shit with romance and a, a douchebag. Uh, but and then that's that gets time. Left. They sell air rights to Josh to uh, James Brolin of all people. I was like, "What like, are you oh, doing here? Yeah. What is that? What is that cameo? Who is that cameo for? That's my question. Who is the James Brolin cameo for in this movie? In terms of the audience of burlesque, perhaps the James Brolin cameo is for James Brolin. Like, did he have some type of contract with Sony or Revolution Studios or something where he Very had possible. to do so many movies? And he was like, "Where can you put me in one scene that makes me seem?" famous and that people would say hey there's james brolin or josh brolin my counter to that is if you cast his wife instead of him oh my god this movie becomes beyond iconic because then you have a scene with Cher and barbara streisand can you imagine just like barbara or Cher and and christina sitting there in that meeting ready to like make their case about air rights and like the chair swivels around and turns (laughs) and it's like barbara with her fingernails sort of like tented in front of her face and her like whatever cream colored sweater sort of like wrapped around the earth would crack in half (laughs) (laughs) so perfect all right i've just made burlesque better okay um, as if that was possible. I didn't think that was possible, but you really, you went and did it. I did. Do we know the story about Stephen Anton, the writer-director of Burlesque, that he's the brother of Robin Anton, who yes. created the Pussycat Dolls? Yes. And also the brother of Jonathan Anton, who did uh, that show Blowout on Bravo, when Bravo was, like, just sort of starting out with its, huh. like, reality show stuff, that, like, they're all, like, family. I think like Robin Bravo's Anton was a around. crazy judge on So You Think You Can Dance, wasn't she? She sure she was. was. Like wild. The three of them, they're so, that whole family is so intense. I'm so incredibly afraid of all of the Antons. I don't want to ever run afoul of them. Um... But yeah, it's it's sort of just like it's such like a family affair thing, and yeah, Robin Anton seems intense and scary, but good for her for creating the Pussycat Dolls, an enduring legacy to be sure. Well, and Stephen Anton started in music video, at least his film career started in music videos, including for PCD. Oh, interesting. Yes. That's interesting. Which the I thing mean, that I find a fascinating long Pussycat Dolls video, to be honest, it is. But what I find so fascinating about burlesque is that if you if you thought about if you think about burlesque even like now like ten years ago or ten years on but like if you think about burlesque in another ten years it would be easy for you to think like oh that must have been that time in the two thousands when burlesque was like momentarily fashionable mm-hmm. fashionable mm-hmm. and sort of like a trend but that's not the case at all burlesque the movie happens a good five years after like the burlesque thing kind of happened like with hipsters in L A right. Yeah. Right, yeah, Which, yeah like, like it was well, it was past its prime already. About this movie, and they go into a blind rage because, like, <laughs> it's not pure burlesque. burlesque. <laughs> Except for the name of the place, which is called Burlesque Lounge. Which, <laughs> great job the, for the ten seconds that the writers came to like, what should we call this place? Oh, Burlesque Lounge. Okay, that's it. That's over. 
Show a little more, show a little less. Have another smoke. Welcome John Patrick Shanley welcomes you to Burlesque. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's what John yeah. Patrick Shanley contributed to the song. He was like, that was his... maybe cut lounge out of the song. <laughs> to get what it to if flow? it's just burlesque? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, perfect. Here's another Tony Award. The writer of Doubt. The writer who wrote Cherry Jones, her Tony Award winning role in Doubt wrote show a little more show a little less add a little smoke welcome to burlesque it's the best thing i've ever heard of in my entire oh life. sister james <laughs> <laughs> oh sister Allie, i have such doubt <laughs> oh sister james you haven't seen the last of my doubt <laughs> oh my god uh, you guys are gonna kill me <sighs> so mean... okay of of the musical numbers Cast, like, let's set aside You Haven't Seen the Last of Me because we have a whole Diane Warren discussion. Sure. But, like, of the sort of, like, stage numbers in the burlesque show of burlesque, um, where do we sort of rank? What are our favorites? What are our least favorites? It's kind of hard because the middle section of the movie is kind of just a blur of musical numbers. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. I mean, there are... Diamonds are a girl's best friend, that Etta James one that Christina sings herself... Any number of things that Nikki tries to sabotage, the Kristen Bell character tries to sabotage. It's a lot. The I am a good girl number. Right. Oh, anything slow, I completely, like, my eyes glaze over and whatever. But, like, to me, the movie comes alive when they do uh, Express in the middle of it. Yeah. Except for, can we talk about the all-time hideousness of the outfit that Christina Aguilera is wearing during the Express number. <laughs> With, like, the hand outline over her boobs. I was just like, this is... The makeup's very truly, heavy. Truly, truly, her makeup is so heavy. But, like, that song's a banger. That song is truly, it will get your ass up and... Show you will, how to burlesque. You know, basically, yeah. Even though that's a different number. Show you how to... Yeah. Show you how to do it something It teaches you how to spell Express. Yes. I always love a song that, like, spells out its title for you. <laughs> We love songs what about you, that Oliver? promote literacy. Yes, exactly. I do love Show Me How You Burlesque. I'm not going to lie. The, the final number, you, I do think, is quite fun. Uh, but I just think it's so hilarious that he's like, I'm a serious songwriter. Uh, this is the song I wrote. Show Me How You Burlesque. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. But, I think it's all part of, I think the movie knows a little bit, like, kind of what a joke Jack is, and it doesn't, like, it doesn't ever try to sell you too hard that he's, like, great in any way, but he's just sort of just, like, he's he's a good enough guy for Allie right now, and I think we can all sort of, like, agree with that, and that's fine. Like, no one's upset that she ends up with him, but, like, there's nobody else on the canvas where you're just like, oh, I wish he had ended up with, like, somebody else instead, like... Eric Dane is bad enough that, like, he makes everybody else look good. I kind of wish that he was gay because she mistakes him for gay the first night that she stays mm-hmm. over at his place. Well, all that eyeliner, my God. I mean, sure. Um, that bowler <laughs> hat, whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, can't, you can't fully convince me that he and Tucci never, like, tumbled into each other's dicks at some point one <laughs> night. Like, I'm sure once that happened. I mean, with the, when you have the opportunity to have cookbook Stanley Cucci, Stanley Tucci, <laughs> did I just call him Stanley Cucci? <laughs> Stanley, Stanley Cucci as a drag name is my new thing. That's fantastic. That was Please a welcome to the stage, accident, I swear to God. Stanley Cucci. 
and it's like and it's a charo act but she's like acting out different stanley tucci roles lovely bones no thank you it's the most feminine drag queen but then with stanley tucci stanley tucci's cookbook arms Um, so sexy oh Um, anyway possibilities i would no i would like if that character was gay because then like i would rather see her make a friend than make a love interest just so that she can have more of a personality i guess i don't know maybe you can get that with a love interest but like i don't know i don't think we need this mystique of who's writing these songs in this club like (laughs) like I wish that it was a gay man, and that gay man was John Patrick Shanley playing himself. Oh my god. At his like, <laughs> He's at... like I wrote this song for you, Allie. <laughs> this is my bulletin. The the intersection of Lady Gaga, Allie, the like the character name Allie and John Patrick Shanley, because Lady Gaga made such a point of like um name checking John Patrick Shanley in her Golden Globe speech that one year when she won for um, American Horror Story when she was just like according to the John Patrick Shanley film Moonstruck which like we get it like Stephanie you grew up in New York City um, I feel like uh, Cher in that John Patrick Shanley film Moonstruck right now it's like one of the greatest moments of my life um, the German not us <laughs> no that was last week Chris that was uh, that was Nicholas it's Lee. every week Joseph Mamma Mia Ciao Bella. We talked about Captain Corelli's mandolin last week, Oliver, is what we... It was oh, my we God. So obsessed with, with our horrible Italian accent. It finally happened. It finally happened. It yeah, true. it truly did. That's exciting. Um, yeah, I agree. I think, I think the strongest numbers in this show are the ones that are explicitly about the art of burlesque, which, like, probably is not super realistic to a burlesque show. I pr- I'm sure they don't... I'm sure they don't talk about burlesque as much as they talk about burlesque as its own sort of thing in this movie. Or they do genuine burlesque. It's like if Ford v. Ferrari was about motorcycles, <laughs> talking about cars. Or just like little like scooters, those little like, you know, motorized Like lime thing. scooters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no, there's no real stripping in this. Even like... Even, like, theatrical... I guess Christina does have that one number where she's got the feather fans in front of her and whatever, mm-hmm. and that sort of classic Kristen Bell's school. number, like, the lingerie is very nude illusion. Does Kristen Bell remember like, that she made this movie? That's my question to you guys. She's definitely blocked out the wig. <laughs> like, she's not I bad think at Kristen this movie. Bell I think does. She... Kristen Bell is full theater kid. She, like, takes this movie with a badge of pride. Like, I she bet. acted Absolutely. opposite Cher... In a scene where Cher like breaks her car window with a tire iron, like that would be, I could die at that moment. She, happy. I think she knows the privilege that she was in and yeah. the honor that she had to have Cher bash her car in a scene. The honor of Cher speaking the line of dialogue uh, while you threw up everything but your memories. Truly, one of the great <laughs> lines of dialogue in all of film. Holy moly. Every time I... I'm never prepared for that line whenever I see this movie. And I've seen this movie a few times. But it always sneaks up on me. And I'm always just like, oh, boy. Like, that's a lot of line. 
Cher is legitimately great in this movie. She is. She absolutely is. She's not just is. like Cher movie Tell the star children. great. Like, it's a great performance. It's it's what I say about her in Mermaids. It's just like, you think that what I'm saying is, I loved the experience of watching Cher in this movie. No. What I'm saying is, Cher's fucking awesome in this movie. And I think the same is true about Burlesque. I think she's really good. Well, I mean, it's just star power. Like, yes, and when you absolutely have it, weaponized, like, and, truly and weaponized. Exactly. If you don't see it, like we don't get to see it on screen. Like I feel like at this point, I also just watch so much Drag Race that it's almost like hard to separate Chad Michaels from Cher in my mind. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I've seen Cher on screen for ten years. No, that's been Chad Michaels in different iterations. Cher is here. I've been there, done that. I spread La Mer on my toast in the morning. All right, you know, I'm Cher, bitch. <laughs> So like, oh my God, spreading Lemare on his toast in the morning. <laughs> That's one of the things about Cher in this movie that did make people predict it for a while, though, because like this was a big deal that Cher was doing this movie, and you have to imagine that it meant something that after almost two decades, was it two decades? Well, she did like she was herself in Stuck on You. Let's not speak um, about Stuck on You, though. <laughs> never, ever, ever. The ever, less, the ever, better. Ever. Yeah. Um, right, Tea with Mussolini is the truth. No, it was more of like, I, yeah, it was basically two decades. There was Tea with Mussolini, uh, If These Walls Could Talk on HBO. Right. Which was also like a, its own big thing. But like Cher didn't really do movies. Um, and like we forget that Cher is an, not we forget that she has an Oscar, but like she was a prestige actress for a minute. Cher truly the is 80s, the Obi-Wan Kenobi on top of, of everything else. Of. Yeah, it's, 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 she's the Obi-Wan Kenobi Kenobi of pop culture, of pop culture, in that she sort of goes away and then comes back when she, like, sees fit and sort of slowly reminds everybody, like, because truly the thing that happened between Tea with Mussolini and Burlesque is Believe, and Believe is, like, the most, like, I won't say improbable because, like, we've already been trained to, like, not counter out, but, like, the the heights that that song reached and the way that that sort of reintroduced her to a whole other generation of pop culture specifically, but, like, gay boys especially, was just, mm-hmm. like, there's a whole Believe generation of kids out there. And, like, and truly... And Cher never lost fans. That's the other thing. It's like, well, like, other sort of artists of that stature, your, you know, Madonnas and... um I'm trying to think of other people who I would say are contemporaries to share in that, like, on that level of fame. But, like, I guess Barbara, probably, in terms of somebody mm-hmm. who was sort of, like, famous for a long time. But, like, those, I think those people sort of, like, their fandoms kind of wax and wane a little bit. And I think shares share fans stay steady. And they will, One of the more, they will patiently think, wait. <laughs> yes. Yes. In comparison to a lot of other legends, like you just mentioned, that I think distinguishes Cher, is there's an extreme level of unpretentiousness about Cher. Yes, yes, that like that is the magic ingredient of Cher. That like she takes herself exactly as seriously as she should and Mm -hmm. takes nothing else as seriously. Like, and it's why she's able to play the characters that she plays in movies with this just like 
extremely chill degree of realism where it's just sort of like, I fully buy mm-hmm. it. I fully bought Tess from the very first like exchange she has with Stanley Tucci because she just seems like a regular person. Well, I, I mean, you don't get to throw out lines like puking up everything but your memories <laughs> and that make comes it seem later. that natural if right. you're not a share. Like, right. and we, yeah. But it's just like her banter with Stanley Tucci, I think, goes like does more to sell this movie than probably just about anything. And I'm so grateful for it. And part of that is, you know, the magic of Tucci because he obviously did the same in something like Julie and Julia and the Devil Wears Prada. And he's like practically perfect, but like there's something there's, there's, there's a friend chemistry. There's a, there's a colleague chemistry between them that like you autumn, you immediately get like all the years of history between them from that very Mm -hmm. first like interaction. It's, it's great. I think it's also key to the movie's success that it looks like Cher is having as much of a good time as she is. Yeah. Because, like, with her legendary status and, like, her not doing movies, like, if this looked like it was a chore or, like, she didn't Mm -hmm. like it or she didn't do a good job, we probably wouldn't enjoy it as much, I think. I think that's true. Yeah, and she's, she's good at, like, meeting the thing that she's working on at the level it needs to be met at. Like, I mean, the last thing she did was Mamma Mia 2. And, like... My mom's face when Cher was revealed, because I don't know. Oh, no. It was when she started seeing Fernando that <laughs> it was like when I saw the Avengers trailer for the first time, like <laughs> just like that's her version of nerding out. Um, And I was like, I don't think I've seen this from you. So like she there's also I feel like um, like a, a dignity to share as well, too, which mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, the she knows. The, yeah, she knows her position in sort of the firmament and. And plays to it very well. The beginning of the Fernando scene in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, is one of my favorite things that's happened in quite a while. Because it's just... Now, I need to find Sky because he and I were going to talk about you. Where is Senor Sinfuegos? He'll know where Sky is. Sinfuegos? That's an unusual name. He's an unusual man. See for yourself. Ruby! Fernando? Mi amor, Mexico, 1959. Can you hear the drums, Fernando? It's so good. It's so. The first thing that she says on screen, though, like you see her foot first, right? Of course, and then it pans up to her, and all that she says. I could not tell you what it is, but it's just French nonsense. It and is. like the absolute burst of glee yep. in the audience yep. for that was like, now I know what it feels like for people with superhero movies. People have such, there's nobody I have more affection for in terms of a, an acting slash music uh, diva in this way than Cher. Like I get, I get fandoms. I get how people have like very strong feelings for you know Britney and Madonna and Gaga and whatever Ariana Grande and all this sort of stuff. But like the affection that I have for Cher is real and it is all enduring. Like it will it will last the test of time. It is. I just think she's so she's both cool and somebody who you just like just worship. I don't know. I love her. I love Cher. Yeah, guys, I might be gay. Yeah. <laughs> I have news for you. <laughs> um, Oliver, 
Is it a disappointment to you in any way that Cher and Christina don't perform together at all during burlesque? Yes, absolutely. To what um, degree does it affect your enjoyment of the movie? I mean, I feel like this movie's like 30 minutes too long, so they needed to <laughs> yeah. just like yeah. cut cut some dialogue or something, give us, what, a five-minute number between the two of them. What would it be like, though? Would it be a... That's my question. Exactly. What, is it yeah. like a I-just-can't-do-it-alone kind of deal? Right, or right, is it right, right. a... Um, oh, shit. My mind's going to that duet from chess what's that called i know him so well oh my god yes <laughs> now i need to hear sharon christina aguilera do i know him so well oh my god catch me at karaoke doing i know him so well <laughs> yeah um yep that is exactly the point though oliver because even in this movie their numbers are so different so like it would be one thing if maybe they weren't doing a type of duet where it's back and forth but like to at least see them on the stage I get it but like I don't know what that number is that puts them together they're such different artists and they're so like their characters are so different would it make sense like I just feel like the promise of that poster of you know Cher on one side and Christina on the other and the word burlesque like down the middle it it kind of promises you that you're going to see them perform together. And I, it is undeniably, like, during the movie, it doesn't bother me because the movie sort of, like, you know, is telling its story well enough and I'm happy with it. And then at the end, I'm just like, wait a second. <laughs> we didn't get to see them perform together at all. But you're right. You're right, Chris, in that, like, it's it, the question of how they would mesh their style. But again, but that's like, you know. That's the fun. That's the challenge of it, I guess, is and maybe it would be really messy and maybe it would be, you know, I don't know. I like the idea of an I can't uh, I can't do it alone or like uh, anything you can do. I can do better kind of a thing Mm. where it happens sort of early enough. And it is through that number maybe that Christina sort of proves to share that she's everything she wants to be. It's one of those things where it's like any criticism that you have of this movie kind of doesn't matter. Like, anything you want to say about it is, like, beside the point of what this movie is and what's good for it. But, like, it's... On a writing standpoint, it makes Tess a little confusing because she's the owner of the bar. The first number we see in the bar is her performing, and Mm -hmm. then she practices... You haven't seen The Last of Me at one point, but, like, you never see her performing on that yeah. stage anymore. So it's like, when and why do you perform on this stage? Well, yeah, what is she rehearsing really... this number for? It doesn't make any sense. My favorite thing so, about like, the... that's why it doesn't bother me, because you don't see her. her... Why would she be performing with her employee? <laughs> right. My favorite thing about the You Haven't Seen The Last of Me number, and maybe we can use this to transition into Diane Warren talk, is the fact that she's just, like, it's such a... Uh, it's framed so specifically that, like, you, they show a close-up of the CD as he's putting it in the, the player that says Last of Me. And it, it might as well just say 11 o'clock number on it because it's just, like, it's time for Cher to rehearse. And it doesn't actually happen at the 11 o'clock number place in the movie. It happens no. much more towards the center. But, like, that's... Yeah, more of a uh, Act 1 finale. But you but you are absolutely given the impression that, sh- that Tess, the character Tess is rehearsing the 11 o'clock number of her, like, life. You know what I mean? Where she's just like, this is now my personal anthem, and I'm going to sing it to nobody but the lighting guy, and I'm going to at least know that, like, I've expressed these sentiments to, you know, the room. Feeling broken, barely 
holding on But there's still something so strong Somewhere inside me And I am down but I'll get up again Don't count me out just yet I've been brought down to my knees And I've been pushed Anywho, I promised Diane Warren talk. We should deliver. <laughs> Diane. Okay, so Diane Warren, who we love. Worship and adore. Long-time listeners will know. We worship her. She's incredible. However, the Diane Warren discourse has sucked of late because she had maybe the worst original song nominee. Minus Alone Yet Not Alone, which doesn't count. <laughs> Oh, you're saying of all time. Of my lifetime? Oh, wow. At the very least, she's had the worst song in the category for two years straight, and that bums me out. Yeah. When she's had, like, when she has, like, legendary songs that should have won her. So I'm going to just list them for for our listeners, because we have this information sort of at our ready. But um, as I wait for the vehicle to pass by my window, which is heralding the presence of Diane Warren's <laughs> 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 11. 8, 9, 10, 11, 11. nominations. Um, I ranked all of them for the film experience this past year. Nothing's going to stop us now from Mannequin, as performed by Starship. Because You Loved Me, Celine Dion from Up Close and Personal. How Do I Live, uh, Leanne Rimes, and a version by Trisha Yearwood from Con Air. <laughs> Con Air featuring Con two Air. separate versions of a Diane Warren ballad is like the most 90s thing I can possibly think of. It's also the most, but we also want women to show up to uh-huh, this movie. Uh-huh. Don't worry, ladies. We got a song for you. Um, we got a Trisha Yearwood song for you. <laughs> and by the way, we also got Leanne Rimes singing it, too. <laughs> uh, I don't want to miss a thing. Uh, Armageddon, 1998, sort of similar, similar um, thinking there. Although there's at least like you know a love story at the center yeah. of Armageddon. It's like the most perfunctory Michael Bay being like, all right, whatever, like making the jerk off motion with his hand is just like I'll give you a love story. Um, I listened to I don't want to miss a thing before we did the podcast today. The run that Steven Tyler goes on after essentially the song ends and he's just doing like you know show offy stuff at the end is truly fantastic and is you know. Christina Aguilera is maybe shaking and maybe found wigless for a moment. It's it's surprising. <laughs> uh, Music of My Heart, 1999, from the film Music yeah. of the Heart, which I recently went on a Twitter sort of run about that movie, the improbableness of that movie, that it's a Meryl Streep movie that was once called 50 Violins, directed by Wes Craven, that co-stars um, both Gloria Estefan and Angela Bassett and whatever. It's, it's wild. Um... There You'll Be from Pearl Harbor, 2001. Then Nothing for a good 13 years. She comes back with then this like... The hits are gone. The hits are gone. And now it's this just sort of like begrudging, like we got to get Diane an Oscar. Let's keep nominating her. Grateful from um, Beyond the Lights, which I actually think is kind of an okay song as performed by Rita Ora. Um, Till It Happens to You, the Lady Gaga song from The Hunting Ground that we all kind of expected was going to be the one that was going to do it. And then Sam Smith just committed the most homophobic Sam act Smith he ever committed. crying with life. whales into the sea <laughs> won an Oscar. Yeah, uh, that was 2015. 2017 was Stand Up for Something from, is that the one from Marshall? 
Yes, I yes. think that's a good song. It's fine. It's Andre Day. Most of them are good. It's just like the problem is it they stand in the shadow of like Diane Warren greatness. Yeah. And then so the last two years she had I'll Fight last year, the Jennifer Hudson song from RBG. And then this year I'm standing with you from the Christian Pray the Sickness Away film. Um Also, all medical people are antagonists. Right. Anti-vax anthem, I'm standing with you from uh, Breakthrough. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like if we could lop off, like, I don't think, I don't think Till It Happens to You and Grateful are that bad of song. I mean, Till It Happens to You is, it's a lot. It's not as bad as people try to pretend that it was that year, that people were like, this song is terrible besides the message of it. And it's like, it's, calm down. It's not that bad. But her last five nominations are clearly like, like C or D level Diane Warren when this is the woman who wrote um uh so, like just like Jesse James by Cher um if I could turn back time uh let me bring up I my very first Spotify playlist that I ever created in my entire life is called Songs by Diane Warren so mm-hmm. um have you ever by Brandy Have you ever um, by Brandy um Don't Turn Around by Ace of Bass um, a bunch of Taylor Dane stuff. Can't Fight the Moonlight, a song that could have been nominated from a movie but wasn't. Um, I'm going down my list. I Get Weak by Belinda Carlisle. Um, I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love by Chicago. Again, Because You Loved Me, we mentioned that that was an Oscar nominee. Love Will Lead You Back by Taylor Dane. Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge. Like, people don't realize that song, Rhythm of the Night, which is, like, such a banger, which was nominated for a Golden Globe because it was from that... um and could have been, yeah. From that Barry Gordy sort of hagiography, um, The Last Dragon. <laughs> uh, truly, like, wild and wild and woolly stuff. Um, but, yeah, like... Can I... Yes, go ahead. Can I say the Diane Warren song that I defend as being one of my favorite Diane Warren songs? I mean, because of defend is unnecessary, but yes. Yes, defend is unnecessary, but people are... It's a song that's the butt of jokes, but go back and listen to this song. It's amazing. What? Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Blame It on the Rain fucking rules. (laughs) As is, what's that Michael Bolton song that I like semi-defend? How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? It is not how much it's um, how can we be lovers when we can't be friends, which is oh. like whatever. But like the lyrics or whatever. But like just it's uh, it's such a good sort of like pop anthemic. This is the thing about Diane Warren that I love is she knows how to do sort of love songs that have some like real uh, guts to them and some real just sort of like musical drive that really just make you want to just like belt out in your car or at karaoke. She's like a phenomenal phenomenal choice for a karaoke night if you ever want to theme your karaoke night do it around diane warren songs um oliver i've been monologuing about this for a while and i don't want to rob you the chance to talk about diane warren so yeah i mean my diane warren history is the backseat of my mom's car 93.9 light fm like those songs yes those songs it's that it's those like those songs from the 90s were on the radio like those were cross like the, the oscar songs were crossover hits and then so that's where i introduced them and then um the the worst part of high school dances because i hated the slow dance parts <laughs> but those were all for the songs wi- for you too. i will by monica for you i will by monica was definitely a big one very dances. Because You Loved Me was um, was right in the middle of my high school experience. So that was, you're right, every high school dance, there was a moment where we would all be 
tasked with the idea of do you want to dance to because you loved me with somebody i had to find a girl to dance with uh to, to because you loved me because you know i was a good closeted gay boy in high school but yeah it's it light fm is the perfect is the perfect phrase to associate with it's Diane light fm but she did like the bangers of light fm Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now sense. has endured for a reason. Like, the Skeleton Christ, Twins like, knew what they were doing when they added that uh, song to that movie, where it's just, like, it's one, we all remember it, we all know the words, and then, like, Diane Warren is also, like, the perfect songwriter for these kind of, like, the they're light FM, but with, like, really strong voices. Grace Slick in Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Cher, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Taylor Dane, a lot of um, every. What I also Bonnie Tyler, absolutely Bonnie Tyler, mm. Patty Labelle. Um, I'm going through this Wikipedia list that has just like every Diane Warren song that she wrote, and every. It seems like almost everybody who's ever passed through American Idol has like one song a piece that Diane Warren just sort of like wrote for them, and I wonder if like they get it with that with their like gift bag as their after they've been eliminated from American Idol, where it's just like here's a tube of chapstick and here's you know tickets to you know a show, and then also here's your Diane Warren single. Like you can go start recording it on Monday. She wrote Shake Your Body by Tyra Banks. She wrote Shake Your Body by Tyra Banks. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> this is exactly what I'm saying. Oliver, thank you for bringing that up. It truly needed we- to be mentioned. same vein we are also forgetting that her song from a star is born is the butt song it truly which is she was very adamant is more than a butt song oh my god yes that's that's such uh that's the song that i put on my playlist from <laughs> yes star john born. patrick shanley wrote show a little more show a little less <laughs> right diane warren wrote, wrote why do you look so good in those jeans why'd you come around here with an ass like that <laughs> yep truly truly fantastic um, my both legends of the form. I I made the case on Twitter about maybe a year or so ago that the best Diane Warren song of all time is "Save Up All Your Tears" as performed by Cher and also Absolutely. by Bonnie Tyler. But my version uh, is the Cher version, and a little controversial. Yes, maybe, perhaps. I think probably if you asked a hundred people, the majority would probably say it was. If I could turn back time, I can't argue with that. That's a fantastic, like, mm-hmm. eternal song. But Save Up All Your Tears, which was never associated with a movie, but if it was, it would have been worthy of an Oscar. What? Listeners, Joe has brought me into the Church of Shares, Save Up All of Your Tears. I I would like to urge you to also become a congregant. I've never heard it. I'm excited. Oh, go after this. Just get ready to live. Get ready ready to live, honey. Um, Of her 11 Academy Award nominations, what would, if you would say, like, this should have been the moment for Diane Warren. Setting aside the fact that if, you know, we'll have the You Haven't Seen the Last of Me discussion in a second, um, but of the 11 nominations that she got, which ones should she have won for? How many of them should she have won for? Like, I'm giving her multiple? No, just, like, pick a song as, like, she should have won for that. 
Oh, I absolutely think, um, and I did this in my write-up, I absolutely think she should have it for Mannequin. Nothing's going to stop us now. It, it would have beat Dirty Dancing, and I honestly... That's a big ask. That song down the stairs. That's so a big ask. I don't care. That it, that it beats Dirty Dancing. It's but... better than that. It's, that's a, yeah. I agree. I don't, I don't disagree. Sorry. Sorry, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> my choice is, I think, just in terms of what, at what point was Diane Warren at her most at her peak of writing songs for movies i think it was because you loved me for up close and personal that was the year that um, evita won for you must love me which i think is such a sort of watery like we're gonna add a song to an existing musical so we can get an oscar thing which i hate that you know that requirement anyway and i think that song is just i mean Madonna doing Evita is a whole conversation that we can't have right now because we'd be here for another two days. But, like, that song is not a high point of that experience, of the Madonna as Evita experience. The other thing is, if she wins for Because You Loved Me, she gets presented that award by Diane Keaton, Bette Midler, and Goldie Hawn, who were presenting the year of the First Wives Club. They argue about how to pronounce pronounce Barbara Streisand. It's so good. From the mirror has two faces, I finally found someone. It's the best. It would have been what it's what a the, great moment. It's genuinely one of my favorite, if not my favorite, um original song lineups. It's what it's that, it's Evita, it's um I think we've argued about this because I told you what my winner would be in this lineup, and you were like, huh. And then <laughs> you were over. As I tend to do when I tend to be a smartass. The other nominees are One Fine Days for the first time. The Mirror Has Two Faces. I finally found someone. It's a good and song. My winner. Okay. That Thing You Do from That Thing You Do. What a great, what a great yeah. nomination. Yeah. Talk about another crossover hit. Yeah. That makes kind of no sense when you look back on it. I Finally right. Found Someone is one of those songs where, A, the surprising thing is that, like, Brian Adams should write more songs for movies. Don Juan DeMarco notwithstanding. We're not going to defend that. Thank you, Oliver, for being on my uh, side on Robin that. Hood, Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood, How Prince of Thieves. You? I'm saying, that's, no, this is what I'm saying. I think Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is a phenomenal song for a movie. I think The Mirror Has Two Faces. I think he and Barbara's voices weirdly, like, pair together surprisingly well. Marvin Hamlish wrote, co-wrote that song mm. with Mutt Lang. Hamlshmish. Hamlshmish. We're Sorry, totally, Marvin. We're totally putting the Marvin Hamlshmish uh, sound drop in here. We have to. Papillon. John Cameron for A Touch of Class. And Marvin Hamlshmish for Who? The Way We Were. Who? Hamlshmish. Hamlish. Hamlish. Sorry about that, Marvin. The envelope, please. Yeah, in my AU Oscar history, it would be that thing you do as well this year. So then Diane's going to get it. Uh, I feel like I want to give it to her for I don't want to miss a thing. That's like, a very, just, that's a very, that song was choice. so huge yeah. outside of like, that was inescapable. I'm going to look up that year so we can compare just, it to that. It was, that got beat by When You Believe from the Prince of Egypt, which oh. ooh. <laughs> I love the reaction from the both of you guys. That's so fantastic. Mm. Have you ever tried, I know this is becoming a very karaoke focused episode. Have you guys ever tried to do When You Believe with anybody else at karaoke? Uh, we definitely could try, sir. It's so much fun. It's like, been around it's so much fun to it. just try and just like 
to try and keep up with Whitney and Mariah is a fool's errand, and yet, like, the best kind of fool's errand. It's so much fun. <laughs> that seems like a late-in-the-night song. It sure is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it is both, like, the cheesiest song that either one of those artists has ever performed, but, like, the tension between them that is, like, palpable within the recording of When You Believe, when they are singing this, like, ostensibly, like, Bible-focused song about faith, right? Like, The Prince of Egypt is all about, you know, Moses and whatnot. Um, but also, it's just a song that is built for runs and built for sort of, like, can you top this vocals? It's it's wonderful. Steven Schwartz, hell yeah. Yeah. The other nominees are complete hilarity. Yep. It's Babe, Pig in the City for a Randy Newman song called That'll Do. Oh, God. Um... <laughs> <laughs> long forgotten this movie doesn't exist anymore quest for camelot for a song called the prayer and then our recent uh fave punching bag the horse whisperer oh, a soft no. place to this fall. is the reason why we can't do the horse whisperer for this had oscar buzz and i resent it you know the prayer though you sort of like I, i'm gonna bring it back to that for a second because if you thought that mariah and whitney um doing a vocal run off on when you believe was something Try getting in the middle of Celine Dion and Andrea Bocelli while they're like fighting <laughs> oh, to the it's death. That the prayer. It's, that's oh, yeah. the, yes, that's the you've song. got to be kidding I am me not that kidding. that is from a movie and that it's from Quest for Camelot. Yep, oh, yes. your grandma's your grandma's favorite song, "The Prayer" by Celine Dion and Andrea Bocelli. Jesus. Yes, Oscar. The nominated. lasting impact of Quest for Camelot is to appear at various funerals <laughs> in everyone's <laughs> lifetime. You know that it's a Andrea Bocelli song because David Foster gets a songwriting credit on it. Speaking of Catherine McPhee, David Foster, um, because David Foster, much like um, a wrestling manager like Mr. Fuji or um, Bobby the Brain Heenan, never lets. Andrea Bocelli go anywhere where he's not like five steps behind sort of like <laughs> with his creepy sort of like hand on his shoulder being like I have Andrea Bocelli who what would you like me to have him sing for you like it's it's unsettling and yet the truth Oy. anyway it's my that's my combination joke for anybody who loves David Foster and Mr. Fuji material I have finally <laughs> I finally threaded that needle of that Venn diagram so you're welcome what else do we going got? down the rabbit hole of looking at all of the different years now. A lot of Best them for Diane Warren, so like, it makes sense why she lost. The one that doesn't make sense, truly, is that she wasn't even nominated for You Haven't Seen the Last of Me because it would have been the year to give it to her. All right, so let's go through the nominees, the only four nominees this year. They didn't, they just, they just, they decided an empty chair a Clint Eastwood-esque empty chair was better than You Haven't Seen the Last of Me. I could not believe it. You, Mimi, I'm first. Mimi, I'm first was number third in the voting. I could not believe it. <laughs> Mimi, I'm first. Mimi, I'm first got more votes than You Haven't Seen the Last of Me? <laughs> Sorry. I could not believe it. <laughs> Okay, we should say these nominees, however. Yeah. Um, Toy Story 3, Randy Newman won yet again for, well, it's, I guess it was only the second time. Um, but he had, his, he had his Oscar. Franchise. He doesn't need a second one. He's fine. For We Belong Together. In this lineup, however, um, 127 Hours, If I Rise, sure. Tangled, I See the Light, which probably should have won, um, in this lineup at least, and Country Strong, the reason we can't do Country Strong, yep. for Coming Home. 
Like, that was a big Do song. we remember, did Trisha Yearwood or Leanne Rimes perform on the Oscars? Because why, why does my memory say that it was Trisha Yearwood? Maybe that's just because I liked... Who performed How Do I Live on the Oscars? I think it was Trisha Yearwood. Yeah. It'll say because if you I click on... Because I remember being... Hold on. Like, treating that like it was justification for me saying that the Trisha Yearwood one was better. Oh, interesting. Performers, 1997 Oscars. Uh, Michael Bolton performed Go the Distance from Hercules. Aaliyah performed Journey to the Past from Anastasia. Hell yeah. Elliot Smith, Miss Misery, Goodwill Hunting. Celine Dion, of course, My Heart Will Go On. Um, followed by Madonna in the bitchiest manner possible, awarding her best original song. And uh, Trisha Yearwood, yes, performed uh, How Do I Live. So there we go. What was her bitchy comment? <laughs> what a shocker. And the Oscar goes to James Horner and Will Jennings for My Heart Will Go On, Titanic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Truly. And like Madonna had won the like year before. Asshole. Well, I guess she didn't win. I guess maybe that's part of the thing is mm. that. Uh, but it's not like Celine won that like award. She like she didn't. She Celine doesn't have the Oscar for My Heart Will yeah. Go On, right? She doesn't have yeah. a songwriting credit on that. <laughs> I will say the Pearl Harbor win would have made sense for There You'll Be because she lost to Monsters, Inc. for a song that nobody remembers. And Randy Newman has how many, like, nominations and wins at this point? Well, that was his first, but, like, though. So, like, I, told, I, I kind of get it. That is true. I, I suppose that's true. But also I was going to say, like, people hated Pearl Harbor yes. that much that it was mm-hmm. like any of its nominations were still kind of shocking. I, I, I started to bring this up when we talked about Captain Corelli's Mandolin last week, that like the so many of the bad reviews for Captain Corelli's Mandolin mentioned Pearl Harbor sort of in conjunction with it, that they were mm-hmm. these like two sort of like, you know, left hook, right hook of terrible movies about World <laughs> War II that year, that like the bad reviews of one sort of like, exponentially increased the bad reviews of the other. But yeah, I think Pearl Harbor was like, because the other thing is, wow, now I'm to- we're totally going back a week in terms of discussion, but whatever, very quickly. <laughs> there, was a, there was a thought slash a concern before Pearl Harbor came out that it was going to be so um, sort of like red meat down the wheelhouse of Oscar voters in terms of like, a mm-hmm. big Americana sort of, you know, big spectacle and whatever movie that like, oh shit, Michael Bay might end up getting a best director nomination for this movie. And like, what will happen? What will become of all of us? If Michael Bay suddenly I remember, becomes an Oscar. Did nominee? you, did either of you read premiere when we still had us premiere? Only when I flew places, I would always get a premiere when I like went to the little newsstand at the airport, but that was kind of it. I had premiere, and I remember the, like, cover feature on Pearl Harbor that, like, I think at the time was, like, semi-credited with kind of, like, derailing it, at least in the public's eyes, before oh, interesting. the movie had come out. Yeah. Because, like, it there was a lot of, like, behind-the-scenes shit with, like, how much of a fraught production that movie was. Interesting. And, like... It was, like, right down in the public's line, and that's when people started to realize, oh, this movie's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a piece of shit. Because I remember Oscar Watch at the time was, like, all abuzz with the possibility of, like, um, is John Voight going to get nominated for playing FDR? Like, this kind of stuff. Like, it was truly... I remember all of that stuff, too. And then I remember reading the big um, premiere article. I wish I I might go back and try to find that, because, like... yeah. It was just like, watch this train wreck happen. Uh, mm. Man. 
All right. So, uh, Oliver, you said you are in then for um, I don't want to miss a thing. That's a good that's a good pick. I think that's a strong. Yeah. Pick. Yeah. I think she can win that year, too. So, yeah. So, yeah. So 2010, it's Toy Story 3. It's 127 hours. What a, a decade, a decade after Country Strong. Do we think we owe that movie more credit or less credit? Because I feel like where it currently stands is this kind of middle ground of like, Gwyneth Paltrow made a country movie. Huh. And like, none of us really knows what to, how to think of it now. So we just like, don't mention it. I've never seen it. It's bad. It's bad. It's, I've also never is, seen it. It's bad. It's all original music. I mean, that's the best endorsement to get me to watch it, is if you tell me it's bad. (laughs) Very true. I think it is all original music. Um, I wonder if it's... No, I want to see if there's a song list. Country Strong soundtrack. Sorry, go ahead. Am I thinking that Contagion and Country Strong were in the same year? Contagion, I think, was 2011, if I'm not mistaken. But, like, feel free to check I remember when those movies happened. Yeah. We've talked about her in Contagion before. And One of her she's best roles. Really great. Yes. While like just dying. I think. I mean, I'm always of the opinion that Gwyneth is um, underrated. I know people get mad when I say Gwyneth and not Gwyneth, and it's only because I'm saying it very quickly, and my accent sort of tends to flatten out all vowels anyway. So when I, even when I'm trying to say Gwyneth, it comes out Gwyneth because I'm from fucking Buffalo and leave me alone. Um, it's one of our pettiest like things. Truly, that we truly, people will not let up on me. And it kind of makes me giggle. I'm like, why does this bother you? But like, we love you guys. Um, uh, we do truly, but like, we also, also have regional dialects and regional dialects. Are yes. Okay. Anyway, yeah, um, not, not everybody's voice sounds the exact same. Everybody, so that's just how life works. <laughs> okay, but this lineup that she could have easily won that we got a bad winner from i mean that toy story 3 song is fine but like what's a better narrative randy newman winning his second oscar for a song from toy story 3 that nobody remembers or uh diane warren winning her first ever oscar in a song performed and sung by Cher. like they could have gotten Cher, and we could have had Cher on the oscar telecast come on who doesn't love that this is my thing the oscars respect their own history until they don't and mm-hmm. it's it, it's a thing that like bugs me because like the the spectacle of Cher at the Oscars was a thing for like twenty years, like if not more. Mm-hmm. Like they would just like find any excuse to invite Cher to the Oscars. She would normally wear some. I finally big... learned how to dress like a serious actress. Exactly, some big Bob Bob Mackie thing with a headpiece and whatever. Do you remember speaking of the nineteen ninety seven Oscars, Oliver? They uh, they did the big lineup of every living Oscar winner. Uh, oh, absolutely! Ever. On stage, and it took like twenty-five minutes, and it was a total like the best. It was it, it was a time waster of the finest uh, vintage. It was so great, and she wore this like headpiece that was like it was like an Egyptian statue on top of her head. It was this like wire framed sort of like thing. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I'm looking it up now. I'm going to look it up. The person I always remember from that four hour spectacle um, is Frances McDormand, who had like (laughs) this outsized like scream for her because she had just won and she loved and she does this like mouthed calm down. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, I'm going to put a link to uh, this photo in our chat so um, we can all see it. But while we are on best song, we have to talk about my all-time 
favorite Oscar win. Yes. Which is, it's hard out here for a pimp. <laughs> I am, a, I am a serious hustle and flow uh, obsessive. I've seen that movie so many times. I have a signed copy by Terrence ah, Howard. Amazing. Um, <laughs> I saw him in a not very good cat on a hot tin roof. Um, Truly. Oh, yeah, with Anika Noni Rose. Rose. Yeah, Felicia Rashad directed it, and I um, brought my DVD so he could sign it like a freaking loser. It would um, truly take a great song to be able to beat um, In the Deep from Crash, which is famously the only Jesus thing I like H. about Crash, which is the extreme drama of Kathleen Bird York at the Oscars singing in the deep in front With of a, a burning car. With a car on fire on stage. It's like, that is Oscar pageantry, my friends. That is what I'm looking for. And it'd also be the Dolly Parton song, which is like an underrated Dolly Parton song from Transamerica, Traveling Through. So that was, even though there were only three those nominees three, that year, that was like, those are three good nominees, I say. That performance is And like wild. all the spectacle you needed with Dolly was Dolly herself. Right, exactly. Oliver, what were you, I think we, we talked over you. Oliver, you were saying... Oh, just the 3-6 Mafia performance is yes. so wild. They staged a whole production for it. Um, oh, God. That movie has so much good original music as well. I consider Hustle and Flow yeah. to be like a stealth musical. Taraji is oh, so totally. good in that movie. Yeah, so good. good. Taraji should have been nominated. She should have had, she, her Oscar nomination should be for that. So if Eminem got to perform Lose Yourself at this year's Oscars, in three years, are we saying that we should have um, 3-6 Mafia come out and perform It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp? Yes. 100%. <laughs> a million percent with Queen Latifah. Oh, my God. did she give them the award? <laughs> she did. And she got so she hyped so about thrilled. it, too. Yes, I loved that. I loved that moment. Okay, so uh, Chris, would you like to take a crack at describing Cher's headpiece in this 1997 Oscars that I just sent you? It's like abstracted, like champagne rhinestoned Amadeus on a smaller scale. It's like spun a spun sugar fruit yeah. bowl that's sort of resting atop of her head. And I don't know. It's gorgeous. And that was literally just... very By Cher at the Oscar standards, it's very demure. She yeah. wasn't nominated. I don't think she presented anything. I think she was just there to stand up on those risers and be like, I was an Oscar winner. And she, like, this is the degree of effort she gives you every time. She brings it to you every ball. Like, I don't know why you're gagging. It's it's. I don't know which I want to be true that... They are not. I. It sounds horrible to me that they wouldn't be inviting her to the Oscars, but like I hope it's also that they're not inviting her to present at the Oscars and she turns them down. Right. Because right. either way, I just want Cher back at the Oscars. That's. I think if we if we are going to use our collective this had Oscar buzz uh, team, you know, team strength together. If we're all going to band together, it let it be to bring. Share back to the Oscars to present Best Picture next year. That is, yes. let's find a way to hashtag that. Let's find a way to just, you know, Crowdsource militarize it. that. We want Share to present Best Picture 2021. Let's make it happen. What's she going to present Best Picture to? Oh, God. Uh, in the Heights. You're in the Heights. <laughs> I said I would. Ah, you did it. <laughs> we got you. We got you. All right. Um, what else? What else? What miscellanea can we talk about about burlesque? We could talk about the Golden Globe nomination. Yes, it got a Best Picture mm, yes. nomination at the Golden Globes. 
that in like this is like the year of the globes we talked about it in our episode the, for the tourists the most notorious of, year like, yeah this is the battering ram for people who hate the globes and want to trash the globes for some of these comedy nominations the best picture comedy lineup is kids are all right at one burlesque the tourist and then alice in wonderland and red here's the thing which people bash the burlesque nomination because it sounds ridiculous on its face that this Christina Aguilera movie was named one of the best musical or comedies of the year. And yet burlesque is the second best movie in this category. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Without, question. without question. It's a good nom. I don't, I do not be, I, even as someone who likes this movie, like under the veil of knowing what mm-hmm. this movie is like, I have no qualms with that nomination whatsoever. They've nominated worse musicals. It's a fun it's a fun movie, it's a fun nomination. They have nominated worse musicals. I agree. So it's dumb. But Burlesque was also nominated for two songs at the Globe, including winning for I forgot about the last that. Of me. I forgot about the other they, one. They nominated Bound to You, which is the ballad. So Christina Aguilera along with Samuel Dixon was nominated and the third songwriter, Sia. Hmm. who like do you remember the like four year period of movies where it was just like you could flip a coin and it would probably have a Sia song over the end absolutely yeah the eagle huntress I remember the eagle huntress yeah I need to make a Spotify list for that like movies that end in a Sia song it was Zootopia Shallows had it the Neon Demon had it right Um, it was the Shallows the Neon Demon Zootopia and the Eagle Huntress, all within like eighteen months of each other. Damn. There was even more. Probably she even had more. Had one. What was last year? I don't, know what this I don't know. But yeah, somebody should do like some kind of a supercut of that because it's valuable and it's worthwhile. Yes, yeah, see it. I think somebody told me that they she had one for um, Doolittle. Whoa. <laughs> Sia. That's either oh, a fantastic girl. joke or just like the most wonderful, uh, you know, the world is spinning apart at it seems um, evidence. I think Sia's answer to everything is just sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, right? She's probably year, a voice in Doolittle too, so. What year was Zootopia? Like... Was Zootopia 16, 2016? 16, yeah. Okay, so imagine the better world we all live in where instead of City of Stars, winning the Oscar for Pasek and Paul, if Sia and Shakira win Best mm. Original Song for Try Everything from Zootopia. That's a better world. We're in a better world already. I feel happier. I feel more optimistic. In 2016, it looks like she also did the closing credit song for Finding Dory, which was a cover yes, of Unforgettable. Yes, you're absolutely right. But she right. also did Lion. Oh. Right. You're this right. was the year that there was like six songs eligible for an Oscar nomination for Sia. Yep. yep. <laughs> and I was like, this is why Try Everything is not going to get nominated. I know. Because Sia is eligible. She's eligible for, for too much. It was too much internal competition from herself for Zootopia. Try Everything is a jam, though. I love, love that song. That was my alarm clock song. For was it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try Everything is a good song, though, and, like, I say, I like Sia, so don't take this as being too shady. Okay. Try Everything is a good song because Shakira sings it. If Sia yeah. sang it, it would be a nightmare. But I think that's true of, like, a lot of the songs that Sia writes, actually. Yeah. 
because she's written a bunch for like other people. She's, yeah, she's just so yeah, prolific. Chandelier wasn't supposed to be her song, I don't think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and yes, wasn't that written for like Katy Perry or something like that? Something. I feel like I feel like that's one of those things where it's just like you know this song was originally written for Katy Perry. It's true of like twelve different songs. I think that's one of those yeah. like weird little footnotes. Anyway, we're talking about Sia. We've really sort of spun out. Can we can we just throw some like uh uh justifiable shade and rage at the Razzies for nominating Burlesque this year? Yes. Fuck them. Absolutely. For nominating Cher specifically, fuck you, Razzies. That's fully just misogyny at play, like the rest of their nominations. We shouldn't even give them the time other than to just say fuck y'all. It's true. I'll, I don't know. Oliver, I like any uh, any further thoughts before we uh, venture into the realm of the IMDb game? I do have a question for you guys. Do yes. you guys think there should be a best choreography Oscar? Oh, Oliver, I love I that you bring it back to that dance. That is a bad it. idea. I think, I mean, if we were doing it two years ago was a great example of why we should have that. I mean, like, maybe it's the type of thing we used to do, or they used to do with makeup and hairstyling, where you only have three nominees, maybe? Right. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, and I know that um, our mutual friend Nathaniel Rogers is a big proponent for this. I'm more into, like, there should be some type of system for there to be special achievement Oscars again. I agree Mm. with that, except for the fact that, like, we look at the way we look back at, like... Uh, special achievement Oscars in the past where, like, we still say that Judy Garland never won an Oscar, even though she won, you know, a special juvenile Oscar for uh, mm-hmm. for The Wizard of Oz. So I feel like in the, in the way that history looks at things, winning non-competitive Oscars still is sort of, like, seen as an other thing. Mm-hmm. I will say a choreography category in 2019 probably means that Cats is an Oscar nominee for Andy Blankenbuehler's choreography mm. for that movie. I think if nothing else you can turn to Cats for for that for the Jellicle Ball scene which I think is legitimately that movie at its most we are a good uh movie that you can like without sort of also laughing at us. Yeah. Right? And that also was all, all my plot to get us to talk about cats. Yes! <laughs> cats content. Because, right, this is also, uh, this Oscar what? year is uh, King's Speech, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Tom Hooper, truly. God, what choreography nomination could he get for the King's Speech? That's, uh, <laughs> for, for, for Helena Bonham Carter's great tap dance number in the middle of that movie, we nominate the King's Speech uh, for Tom Hooper. Yes, thank you, Oliver, for reminding us and for reminding me to once again mention that January 13th, 2021, uh, the Cats episode, it is coming. Roundtable. <laughs> roundtable. Cats episode roundtable. Oh, my God. It's like the Hollywood Reporter roundtable, but it's us talking about Cats. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, cats coming soon to digital streaming platforms where you can have your own rowdy screening at home. Yes. What's everybody's favorite share screen performance? Oh man, hmm. um, favorite or best? But however you want to define it, I I can I can be reckless and throw this question out uh, at at will because I'm so resolute in my answer. But like. I I sympathize with you. Have a strong feeling. Why don't you tell us yours? Mermaids is the best she's ever been. 
Um, and it's one of those things where people are like, but Moonstruck, but Silkwood. I'm not saying she's bad in those movies. She fully deserves her Oscar for Moonstruck. And it's probably, if that's your favorite, you are fully justified. What I am saying is she's so underrated for what she does in Mermaids and the character that she plays and in the way that she interacts with Winona Ryder as mother and daughter, it is perfection she's funny she also manages to like allow herself to be the less likable one a few times in the movie even though she's fucking share and she knows that like at a moment's notice she can get you on her side but like she's so not afraid to be like kind of a bitch in that movie it's great it's so good the scene at the end where they're dancing in the kitchen is the ultimate like cannot top this people dancing in a kitchen scene in a movie others have tried to uh to to top it it has not been possible it's so good the way she like her dressed up as the mermaid in mermaids is like all other mermaid content found shaking this was the year after the little mermaid at which point disney had to like issue a written apology for trying to say that their mermaid was better than shares in uh in mermaids because Cher <laughs> was so good um, Ariel found dead in a ditch. Cher uh, in Mermaids is the best. Dead on the shore. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Ursula found dead in the ocean, stabbed by a boat. Um, <laughs> my my pithy answer is Predaporte. It's a shout out our Predaporte <laughs> episode, but also because Cher plays Cher. Yes. Um, but also that scene is really funny. I, uh, my answer, Cher has never been bad on screen, but like in terms of being like a movie star who can still also like give the screen to other people when it's their time, but like totally dominate it when she's there. I realize people have problems with this movie. I have problems with this movie, but like I fucking love Witches of Eastwick. Yes. <laughs> Her monologue to Jack Nicholson in that movie that ends with "and you smell" is, uh, is one of the great <laughs> moments. I love it so much. No, I I am positive that you are the most unattractive man I have ever met in my entire life. You know, in the short time we've been together, you have demonstrated every loathsome characteristic of the male personality and even discovered a few new ones. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, you're morally reprehensible, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. Oh, man. I Who mean, directed uh... Witches of Eastwick? Remind me. Uh, George Miller. Yes, of course. Yes, George Miller. I'm not saying that that is her best performance, but in terms of, like, we don't talk about this performance enough and I love it and it makes me feel like she's a fucking movie star is Witches of Eastwick. I would say probably her best performance is Silk. If we could find a way, I know we're reuniting the First Wives Club for a movie coming up and, like, cannot wait. So excited. But if we could also find a way to get Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon into the same movie together again, I would die on the spot and be happy about it. Yeah, I think that I think I agree. Silkwood, Silkwood, I think is her most interesting performance to me. I agree with that. I think of, I agree with that. In terms of how she uses the share persona and like really cuts the celebrity out of it. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that she talks so much about how Meryl Streep helped teach her how to be a movie actress in that film is a so endearing. Also, another great connection between burlesque 
and The Devil Wears Prada is that like Cher and Meryl Streep are, you know, such good friends. And and Cher has always talked about being, you know, so indebted to Meryl on Silkwood. And if you ever watch the clip of Cher winning the Oscar, Meryl is so happy for her, like so genuinely thrilled and happy for her. It's like the best thing to watch. I would also say if you want to see Cher opposite a bunch of other incredible actresses, come back to the Five and Dine, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, underrated Altman. Yep, very good. Good movie. Yeah, you forget that Mike Nichols directed Silkwood too. Like that is such a um he's so good with actors. Like it's one it's it's it sounds like one of those like backhanded compliments where it's just sort of just like, oh, he gets good actors in his movies and he sort of rides them to the finish line. But like, no, he's so good with actors. He gets them he gets such good performances out of them. Good pick, Oliver. I like that. So what you're saying is she was good in her very first sort of like real movie and then never bested it again. Well, I mean, Moonstruck no, is kidding. probably the most rewatchable of them because yeah. that movie's so tight. Like that movie yes. just mm-hmm. moves. So, um, and I mean, just the the iconic everything about that performance um, but like that's just so share and i think silkwood is not so capital c share it's still I, mm-hmm. still share yeah. but it's just a little different you see no, her totally. really trying to fit into a different like she's she wants to move into this new lane and she's really really committed to it in a way yeah. that is just really impressive yeah she's always been somebody like, who like if she's determined to do a kind of thing She's going to do it. Like, she made infomercials. At the same time, being incredibly underestimated. That's partly why I think, like, the the choices that we're making and, like, the performances to shout out is because, like, it feels like those are the ones to us that are underestimated themselves. Yeah. So, like, you kind of have to, like, throw yourself in the corner for that thing. Yeah. I don't know. I should also mention a runner-up honorable mention to the greatest share performance is the share behind the music that VH1 did back in the day that I watched 100,000 times. I watched it so often, and there are still moments that I remember when she talks about how, like, she got, like, eviscerated in the press for dating a younger man and whatever, and she is just like, if a man had did that, nobody would have batted an eye and she goes and that sucks out loud and i still think of that phrase like that sucks out loud um so often and then when she talks about her infomercials she's just like it was smarmy i did a smarmy thing so sue me like it's you know she's so like matter of fact about it anyway it's a great behind the music they should make all of those available i know music rights are like almost as difficult as air rights to procure but um it's I, it's kind of mind-boggling that the show is able to even happen in the first place because of music rights. But, like, yeah, people don't understand how much Behind the Music ruled and was awesome. So grateful to have grown up in an age of Behind the Music because I know so much about Cher and the Mamas and the Papas and TLC and Fleetwood Mac. You have no idea. Just you have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Do you think Cher, when do you think Cher is going to actually end up on Drag Race? That's the question, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. She doesn't do stuff like that. It, it just feels like it know? has to happen eventually, right? She's the ultimate get for them. She'd have to be that, like, season premiere, um, you know... Yes. Spotlight guest kind of a thing that Nicki Minaj is going to be doing this season that Christina had done and that Gaga had done. Um, I mean, not to, like, sort of, you know, 
make demands on Cher's behalf, but you'd really have to like roll out the red carpet in terms of like making a place for her on that show that acknowledges that like, not that she's better than the show, but like she is like mm. by so many degrees of magnitude, the biggest thing who would, that would have been on that show that like, yeah, you got to recognize it. They would have, yeah, like that's, it's a certain concession on the show's part slash RuPaul's part. Well, this is the other that thing. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're willing to make because mm. even like when Lady Gaga was on, it was very deferential to like RuPaul and just and the to whole drag and to show of it right. all. Yeah. And like, not to say that Cher, Cher wouldn't be like, humbled by her position because she is right. but like it's just a whole other stratospheric thing i think there's the... something about drag race having somebody on who is more famous than rupaul or sort of like who strikes a you know more famous kind of figure in pop culture than rupaul that you have to like you have to make sure that the tone doesn't get thrown off its axis too much yeah. because that show so depends on rue being the center of the universe and once that sort of spell breaks a little bit, like you, you have to, you know, it, it does, it would throw the show off, I think a little bit, but it would be amazing. Oh my God. It would be absolutely amazing. Time you would stop. have to do it where like she, like you would have to do a bit with her and Chad, right? Where like they sort of like either appear side by side or like one enters and then like the other one enters from a different door in the room or like something like that. You have to sort of, or like Chad would have to show a little more. Cher would have to show a little (laughs) less. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, perfect. All right. Do we want to do the IMDb game? Yeah. Joe, would you like to explain the IMDb game for our listeners? Uh, Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb has said that they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. It's only fair. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free for all of hints, which is fun for the whole gang. Fantastic. Yes. Okay, so Oliver, you're our guest, um, so you kind of get to rule the roost here. Would you like to give or guess first? Joe, you challenge me. Okay, so I will challenge you. Yes, then you will challenge Chris. Chris. You are going to challenge me, I will challenge Joe. Exactly. Okay. All right. And so you are going to get, you're going to guess first, you have already said. Okay, so... I believe we haven't done this. Chris, stop me if we have, but I think we're clear. Um, on the subject of pop stars on film and, and Christina Aguilera and Burlesque, um, I tried to pick one of her contemporaries, but there weren't a whole lot of like wide-ranging filmographies among the Britney Spearses and Jessica Simpsons, but I did land on one actress who sort of has now become more actress than pop star, and I'm going to test you, Oliver, to guess the known for, for Miss Mandy Moore. Yeah. Oh, Mandy Moore, so the actress, not, not Mandy Moore, the choreographer. I have to clarify for you since you are a so yes. you can dance person. Uh, we have TV and voice on here? or no? We have one voice, no television. Oh, Oh, and I feel like I don't know the name of her like shitty teen movies all that well, but Tangled's definitely on there. Tangled is definitely on there. That is one. Tangled is on there. Uh, doesn't she have one where she plays like the president's daughter or something? Or no? Uh huh. 
Yep. Chasing Liberty or yes, something? Yes, Chasing Liberty. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm done. Oh, my God. I looked this up, and I was like, Joe is fully evil for making <laughs> you try to remember that Chasing Liberty oh, exists, yeah. and, then, and you got it right I'm, out of the gate. I am seldom <laughs> I will say impressed. that is the one that stumped the house in Palm Springs, so, like, well oh, well, I'm Well, I'm, I'm screwed at this point, because I really, um, <laughs> does she make, like, a movie with Freddie Prinze Jr. or something? Like, <laughs> um... I, I'm gonna. Oh God! When do I start getting hints? I think after you can two? get these. I think you. I have confidence in you. I do have confidence in you. Um, if you want to uh, burn a couple, and I can just give you the years. If you want to just jump right to the hints. Okay, I'm gonna guess yeah. this is us, even though I know that it's not on there. So okay. Um, yeah, this like is us. Wrong. Don't know the name of the movies. Go ahead. All right. So Hint your time. years are 2002 and 2004. Um. You're, it's not Freddie Prince Jr., but it's sort of it's another actor who was sort of briefly famous at that moment for like being the leading man in a lot of these sort of teen movies. Um, it's just the two. I would say the hint for this movie is that it is based on a book. Who I'm pretty sure. Oh, this it is. was. You're right. Yeah. Oh, oh my Maybe God! A walk this... to remember. Jesus yes. Christ! A walk to remember. Oh, God. Because it was Message in a Bottle, A Walk to Remember, then The Notebook, right? Yeah. For Nicholas Sparks books? Yes. All of my high school girlfriends are mad at me right now. (laughs) They all were obsessed with that fucking movie. So Um, the one you're missing is, I think, it would have been the first one that I would have gone to for whatever reason. It's my favorite of her screen performances. She is at the center of the poster, weirdly, even though she's not the protagonist of the movie the protagonist of the oh movie saved. saved yes yeah um i, okay, I wouldn't yes, have guessed that saved these. would be on there so i'm pleased to see that it is yeah God, this is a real trip down memory lane these were Truly. Really, like i didn't see chasing Walk to liberty what fucking unhinged <laughs> people are getting chasing liberty on here is that on freeform lately or something <laughs> maybe uh Yay. Um, Good for wow. you. Well we, done. We need to talk about Center Stage if we're talking about Mandy Moore, um, because she's not in Center Stage, but she's got that one song from it. And I was going to say, was, I didn't think she was in Center Stage. No, she's not in it, but she That's has this... The uh, thing about doing pop stars on this game is that a lot of them will show up for sound credits right. even when they have acting performances. Other Mandy Moore performances we could have had on this list, 47 Meters Down, the Shark movie, which was like briefly <laughs> very popular. No God, that would have taken movie. so long for me to guess. You would have uh, to do a number. Because I Said So. Because I Said So, where she plays uh, Diane Keaton's daughter, and the poster is Diane Keaton sort of like pointing a finger in her face and telling her what to do. She has sisters. Isn't like Lauren Graham her sister in that? Is that a thing? I can't remember. I never saw it. She's know. also in, of course, American Dreams, Dreams with a Z. And yeah, saved, Chasing Liberty. Oh, How to Deal. Is that the Freddie Prince Jr. one, maybe? I don't know, but that's what no. the one I was thinking of. It's not Freddie Prince, but it's It's Trent Ford. Ford. Trent Ford, who played um, Zoe Bartlett's awful French boyfriend in the third and fourth oh. season of, uh, of The West Wing. Fourth season of The West Wing. Weird. And also Allison Janney is in that movie, which is interesting, which makes that a two West Wing performer movie, which makes I should see it. Anyway, Oliver, why don't you turn right around and challenge Chris with the person that you have chosen? Okay, this is hard because I kept thinking of people that I that I feel like you had already done. So um, 
I'm going the Mamma Mia route. Uh, yeah. Yes, but um, probably one of the smallest, worst roles in these movies, Dominic Cooper. Oh, we have not done Dominic <laughs> Cooper. Sky, Sky of the Mamma Mia films. The Coop, the Coop, <laughs> the Coop is on fire, Dominic Cooper. <laughs> okay, Dominic Cooper, um, Mamma Mia. Incorrect. No, I, I did not do um, uh. the Chris thing of telling you one of the movies. <laughs> I like that that's become the Chris thing. He is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Though I feel like Marvel movies haven't been showing up at all anymore. But I'm so stumped for movies that I'm going to say Captain America... The first Captain America. You got it. That's one of them. Uh, all right. Cool. Um, hmm. Dominic Cooper. He's uh, Mamma Mia is not there. If Ma- regular Mamma Mia is there, I don't know if Mamma Mia Here We Go Again would be there. Wait, he's one of a million people in My Week with Marilyn. My Week with Marilyn is one of those crazy movies that always shows up. I'm going to guess that. Ding, ding. You got it. Fantastic. Um, All right. What else is he in? Do I know him from? I don't think the History Boys is going to be there, but that's like the first movie that he was in that we know. So I'm going to go with things after that. Um, He's in an education but I don't think that's there, but I'm going to guess it anyway and just get the years. That is not there. Sorry. Ah. Very right. sorry. What are my that. years? So your years are 2008 and 2011. Ooh, I don't know if that will help me. I will say one of these movies, Chris, is it's insane to think that this movie was a thing for like, a half a second and then it totally went away and it's just like right like we cared about this movie for a very brief moment in time and now have why did we care about it for a very brief time we just did i don't know did it get was it like anticipate well no because then we would have cared about it for longer um it just kind of appeared and i'm assuming these are both movies that he's like Maybe third build in both of them. One of them, he's the lead. One of them, he's the lead. Like top building, top yes. yeah, yes, lead, lead. What the hell? Yeah, <laughs> when did that happen? Um, this is what I mean. Never seen this movie. What a weird moment in time this was. Wait, wasn't there a movie where he played twin brothers? Uh huh. Um, it's a the title's a pun. Um. Double. Something double. Right. You're, you're almost there. I don't know if I know the... Ra- he had a mustache. He did. Because he was supposed to look like... That's not going to help you with the title, uh, I guess. But yeah, No, but he... The poster's all, like, gold. Yeah, he loves gold. The it's devil, very gold my, double. My clue for you the is don't double. call me Angel. <laughs> yeah, you, you, Chris got it. Yeah, it's... Say it again, Chris. Did you get it? Me. The devil's double. Yeah. Oh, you got it. It's like Goldmember um, survived 
that Austin Powers movie, <laughs> I love put on a mustache and was just decided that like he wanted to be in an all gold movie poster. And then they recast him with Dominic Cooper. I, for whatever reason, also it's directed by Lee Tamahori, who directed like Die Another Day and sure. and um, The Edge. We all remember The Edge. We love The Edge. Our favorite David Mamet Bart the script Bear. starring Bart the Bear and Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins. Um, but who's directed some like horror, like he directed Next. He directed Triple X State of the Union. Like, And then so all of a sudden we Jeez. were, I remember being so, maybe this was just me in my like horniness for Dominic Cooper. But I was just like, oh, there's a movie where there's two of them. And like he like, I think shows butt in one of them and is just sort of like weirdly like like dangerously sexual i don't know there was a whole fucking thing with this movie and then nobody has given it a thought since 2011 since it like basically showed up in theaters and didn't do anything anyway you've got one more interesting the last <laughs> thank one you for is... burning some time because i'm i'm getting really stumped yeah. 2008 um, this is a pretty this movie had no oscar nominations but it's definitely like a oh oscar it did movie. it's an oscar winner Oh, jeez. Oh, I have the feeling that I know what it would have won for. Oh. Oscar. 2008. Okay, so that is the year of Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. Uh, what movie would he have been in that won an Oscar that year? It was nominated for two Oscars, two Oscars that tend to go hand-in-hand hand a lot, um, and then one for one. Sound? Nope, not sound. Or, like, visual mm. effects? No. Costume design, art direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it would have won. Oh. Yeah. You got He's it. He's the love interest in this, and I utterly forgot that. It's um, uh, the Duchess. Yay. Well done. That was a good one. That was a fun one. That was, was a fun one. Well, well I chosen. There's so many names. I was like, how can I figure out a Mamma Mia person? And it's like, <laughs> a lot of them are just too easy. Yeah. Like,. Not oh, gonna... if you think we've had some fun so far. Oh, no. no. Oh, my God. <laughs> I am I am here to avenge my <laughs> poor performance from the last episode. And I, I normally wouldn't do this, but this is too good to pass up. I am here with a small assist from somebody who, uh, a friend of ours, Brian Forte, uh-huh. gave me a real goodie to challenge Joseph with. Brian, don't do this to me. I'm doing it to you, but... Brian just nudged me in a direction, okay. and I'm taking the opportunity to avenge my terrible performance last okay. week. Joseph, <laughs> yes. there is absolutely no connection that I can at least think oh, of <laughs> to burlesque. Unless, like, maybe this is a chameleon person who is a chameleon performer who could have very easily, like, been in the background of burlesque. Sure. We are talking about oh one Mr. Jared Harris. Oh, I fucking oh. hate you. <laughs> there oh. is one voice performance. But no television? No television. No Mad so Men. No Chernobyl. No Chernobyl, Mad no Madman. Um oh there's a voice performance. Thank you for that. You know, the ultra yes, distinctive voice, voice of Jared Harris <laughs> calling at you from the screen. Um Oh boy. Alright. Where do I even begin with Jared Harris? He's like didn't he play David or didn't he play Andy Warhol in one of those movies with Andy Warhol? Um, I mean, are, is that your guess? Which one is it? Is it was he Warhol and I shot Andy Warhol? Is that one of them? No, I don't know. Uh, let me look. If if that is not him, I will not count that against you. Uh, he was Andy Warhol okay. and I shot Andy but Warhol. But it wasn't so? that. No, it that's wasn't one. that. Okay. All right. Fine. 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 
I feel like he kept showing up in like as like the bad guy in certain things for a while before we decided that we were going to remember him. Um Oh, he's in happiness. Is happiness one of them? Happiness is not one of them. Right, so, now I get years. so here's your years. Ooh, 2011, right. 2013, right. 2008, and then your voice performance is 2014. Big Hero 6? No. I will say the voice performance is a movie that you and I have been proponents of. Yeah, this, this is a very good movie. Mm. This is a very good movie that people don't talk about being a good movie. Wait. And this is also a movie that has been on somebody's IMDb before that you challenged me, and it was fully evil. So, again, your comeuppance. Wow, I'm really paying for all of it, aren't I? Um, yes. With love. All right, animated movies in 2014. Big Hero 6 won. I was rooting for... Probably this movie. Oh, I God. I was rooting for um, this. Because I remember being, like, disappointed, even though I liked Big Hero 6 well enough. Um, oh, Box Trolls. Is it Box Trolls? Box, box trolls. trolls. I love the Box Trolls. You're right. You were right about that. Um, okay. All right, Jared. So here's... you are still have 2008, 2011, and 2013. 2008, 2011, and 2013. How about we do 2013? Here's the thing. The (laughs) effect of Twilight and The Hunger Games made a lot of studios think that they could just take any teen science fiction or teen genre. City of Bones, City of Bones, make... Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. Which I One Bones. of the many would-be franchises that died. Saw that movie because I literally was like in Midtown and wanted to sit down for a while. And I was like, what <laughs> is playing now? And it was the Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. <laughs> Who were even the stars of that movie? Is that... Uh, Lily Collins <laughs> and... <laughs> Oh, and the guy from Sweeney Todd, right? Sweeney Todd, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Jamie Campbell Bauer, right? <laughs> Kevin Zeger is Airbud himself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so 2008 and 2012, is that what we're saying? Oh, Lincoln. Lincoln. No. Fuck. Um, 2011 is oh, a it's not sequel to a franchise that we have kind of fully forgotten about. This franchise, the only reason this franchise made money is because the star was also doing the biggest franchise in the world. Downey Jr. Yes. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, Book of Shadows. Sherlock Holmes, Game of Shadows. Shadows. Yes. Is he uh, Moriarty in that? Uh, Yes. yes. Okay. Interesting. 2008 (laughs) is a movie that has stumped you before for a performer that you have forgotten. He's such an asshole. I'm really just trying to will Joe to have his own Gosford Park like I had, and I could never remember who was it's in It's somebody Park. who has previously stumped me for being in this movie that I couldn't remember that they were in this movie. Okay. This is a movie that I would defend, and like the people who hate this movie, what Jared Harris is doing in this movie, I'm like, okay, maybe you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, is it a genre film? No. I mean, it, like, falls into several genres, I would say, but nobody's going to call this a genre movie. Was it popular? 
It is not popular. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I thought you meant that as a title. I oh, mean, this movie popular. made a lot of money. Yeah. It's popular? When we talk about this filmmaker, nobody talks about this movie. Oh. I think they should more. So was it kind of a... Um... It was a big Oscar player. Oh. Yeah. 2008. But an outlier in this guy's uh, filmography. It won sure. three Oscars. He wasn't in Benjamin Button, was he? <laughs> he was absolutely in Benjamin you. Button. I, Captain Mike. He's, he's the captain of the ship. Have I seen The Curious Case of Benjamin Button? Maybe the thing is that I haven't. Maybe that, like, I only remember, like, certain parts of it. I only remember Old Baby Brad and um, Kate Blanchett as a ballerina. Maybe that's it. And Taraji. Uh-uh. Anyway. No, apparently I don't remember anybody else who was in the curious case of fucking Benjamin Button. <laughs> Christ almighty. Jared Harris. Thank you, Brian. There's a special place in hell for people who don't support, women who don't support other women, and also people who pick Jared Harris at the IMDb game. Me and Brian right there You and hell. Brian roasting. All right. Well done. All right, that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Oliver, thank you so very much for coming thank on. You, it's been a pleasure having you and discussing uh, this movie. Um, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you and your work. Uh, so you can find most of my work on the AV Club, where I do most of their comics coverage. Um, and then I do stuff for a bunch of different outlets. Um, got some Vulture stuff coming up down the pipeline. Um, Polygon. Uh, I write for the Chicago Reader, if there are Chicago listeners out there. And um, and then I'm going to plug the Next Picture Show podcast, who graciously let me recording equipment for this. And it's a really great film podcast where they examine new releases in the context of a classic film that has some sort of connection to it. So I think that there's a lot of it's a good intersection podcast. between these guys. It's a good podcast. Well done. Yes. Uh, Fabulous. Oliver, Joseph, so nice. where can they? Yes, Oliver, thank you so much. Uh, had we, an amazing um, time. It's... Honored to be here. Come visit New York soon. And you? Well, I have to come for company. I need yes. to see company. <gasps> yes. All right. All right. We'll hang out. Okay, good. <laughs> Damn it. Everybody going to see Katrina Link and company without me. I... I <laughs> That's I I never get like FOMO anger uh, on Twitter other than like Tony season. Yeah. Go to New York. Um, yeah. Join us. So I love you all, but fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Joseph, tell our listeners where they can find you and more of your. Sure, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R E I D. I am also on Letterboxd uh, under the name Joe Reed. Reed spelled R E I D there as well. And I am on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So get your ass up and show more potential listeners how we burlesque. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back for next week and more buzz and more wagon wheel. What wagon see. wheel? What to see? There I did it. You haven't seen the last of me. <laughs>